to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Making Laps Podcast. I am your host, Brent Gleason, and just as we left off on the last episode with a somber note, this week, unfortunately, we begin with another somber note. NASCAR Hall of Famer and utter legend Junior Johnson passed away this past week at the age of 88. Um, for a little bit of backstory on him, he began his career in racing in 1955, but was subsequently arrested for bootlegging. This man was a quintessential element. He was a representation of how NASCAR started, the type of men who raced in the sport, and who really brought it to the limelight. But he spent, after spending a year in prison, he got out and began really taking hold in his racing career. He won 50 NASCAR races as a driver. He won the 1960 Daytona 500. And as a car owner, he won six NASCAR championships, three with Darrell Waltrip, and three in a row with Kelly Yarbrough. He was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He was a legend in every sense of the word, and he will be sadly missed. At the beginning of this episode, I'd really like to have a moment of silence for the memory of not only Bill Simpson from the story from last week, but for Junior Johnson, both legends in their own right. So to clean up a little bit of business this week, I have to let you all know that I have really been trying hard to try to improve not only the flow and the writing ability of myself to try to get these to sound a lot better, but the audio quality of each podcast so that you can get a lot better sounding podcast, a little bit better delivered to you. But a lot of things went wrong in that path this past week. I had ordered a brand new microphone because I've been using a gaming headset. Literally, that's all I have. So I, I have no choice. I have to use what I have if I want to do this. But I've been using a gaming headset to try to uh, do this podcast, and you can actually hear a bunch of times when I'm talking, you'll hear the levels just randomly peak completely and, like, drown out whatever I'm saying. So when you hear that, it's because of my less-than-podcast quality microphone and headphone setup that I'm using, so bear with me. The reason I'm still using it this week is because I ordered a new mixing board and other stuff off of Amazon. They said they'd be here today, which is the 23rd of December, and they are not here because they didn't give me any tracking info. So, bad mark against Amazon for that one, for not getting me the stuff when they said they were going to. Um, I know it's Christmas time and they're probably really hectic, but come on guys, I ordered it, you promised it, don't promise something you can't deliver. Um, again, last week, uh, a little bit more business to tidy up. I believe I mentioned something about Fury Race Cars building or suspecting that Fury Race Cars had an ACT chassis in the works. I was mistaken. I don't want to be spreading rumors. I want to clean it up. I have heard nothing about them doing that. They are in the business of uh, modified and super late model chassis and whatever else they have going on with uh, Trans Am and such. But uh, again, no word that they're doing that. It's actually LFR that said they were going to build the ACT chassis uh, in the future. Um, 
And I had known that because they surprise dropped a straight rail super late model chassis on their social media outlets. And I saw that and was very surprised. Uh, again, I'm I'm not exactly a chassis guy, but I do enjoy when new technology comes out because the engineer part of me comes out and I start looking at it and thinking, oh, that's really cool. I'd like to see more of that. So again, I misspoke. Uh, I don't want to cause any different confusion. I don't want to cause any more online debates because I'm sick of them already. So uh, let's see. I forgot to mention uh, when I was having these audio issues, I bought a soundboard and uh, that was what was going to come in at Amazon that I'd mentioned earlier, but I forgot to say that I have, or I hope to have, the capability of doing very clear and very uh, quality interviews with people, even if it's over the phone. But I couldn't commit to doing any interviews this week or even next week after learning that my stuff was not going to come in on time. And I'd realized that at the very last minute, and I'm glad I didn't make any commitments to having anybody come on, I'm still looking for a co-host or somebody reliable who wants to come and sit in on these recordings. But at this time of year, it's really not easy to do. And uh, I have gotten a commitment from my brother. He said he would probably come and sit down and do a couple of these, which would be cool. Um, he's a lot more well-trained in the, in the art of radio and TV broadcasting than I am. Uh, okay, I think that's all the business I have for today, so let's get on into lap number one, because I have uh, a lot of notes, and I think we're going to have a pretty long show if I don't cut this thing down, so we should just get right on into it here. Lap number one this week, or gift number one, I should say, since this is the Christmas Almost special, I polled a bunch of people on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to tell me what their best gift they got that was racing-related. And I got a couple of good responses here, and uh, I'll have to share mine at the end with the rest of you, just so it's all fair, you know, because my wife told me to. Uh, let's see, the first person I got a response from, I got one from Glenn Thomas, who is a uh, Northeast Mini Stock Tour competitor, longtime late model crew member. I've known him for quite a while. He says one year he got a model of his first race car, and that's actually, you know what, I might as well just go into it right now. That's actually the gift that I got. But it wasn't of my first race car. It was actually of one that I'd won my first race with. My wife had made my brother and me uh, basically small models, like matchbox car size models, or Hot Wheels if you're that kind of kid, uh, sized models of our race cars. And I don't know how she did it, but she pulled it off. And they, they looked exactly like our cars, and they were really cool. Uh, she also printed out all of my blog posts that I had written over at GleasonBrosRacing.com, which is our team's website, and she handed them to me in a, a big book, and that was that was pretty cool. So yeah, instead of waiting until the end, I might as well just hand you mine now. Jacob Perry, who just recently picked up a new ride uh, in a modified, I believe it was the VMRS Tour? I'm going to have to look that up, folks. I'm sorry, but he said that he got a quarter midget when he was, I think he said four or five, and it was in a wooden crate, and he was convinced that it was like a tiger or a big cat of some sort, so he didn't want them to open it. And I told him, I actually replied to him, I said, hey, I'm a bad parent, so that's probably what I would do, is I would probably tell my kid that it's a tiger, and shouldn't let it out. But, because <laughs> I'm a very bad person, don't, don't even get the idea that I'm a good person. Chuck McDonald, ex-car driver, comes out and says that one of his best, or the best racing gift that he got was a new helmet. 
Ed Powell later responded, and he said he received, he's a crew member for uh, Moose Doughton, longtime crew member for him, uh, and a, a friend of mine, actually. And he said that he got an early Christmas gift that was a championship trophy from car owner Don Stebbins when they won the Sportsman title in 2011 at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park. So that's pretty cool. Um, Brian Murphy, actually, he is a one of the head body guys down at uh, Stuart Haas Racing down in North Carolina. He replied to me on Twitter. He says, believe it or not, a set of Whitney punches with about 50 different die sizes. I didn't realize it at the time how much I would end up using it, but they have come in handy ever since. And you know what's funny is that if I was actually doing a lot of body work, I would actually really want a lot of those, but I tend to get really lazy with my tin work and my fabrication and stuff, so I just make stuff work. That's kind of his job, so yeah, he needs that sort of stuff. Uh, and he actually hooked me up with hot passes to New Hampshire this past year, so thanks, Brian. Appreciate that. That was a good time, except I sweated my ass off. It was warm out there. Um, or I'm just really out of shape. I'll, I'll chalk it up to both. Uh, but still, really killer time. I get to hang out with Stuart Haas. Anyway, he mentions that it's like I never really realized how much I'd use them. And it's it's kind of funny how that works out because I've always had tools where I buy them. And I spend a good amount of money on them. And I think to myself, I'm like, oh, I'll never use this thing. You know, I, I don't have a use for this. I'll never use this thing. And it ends up being the one tool that I use like the most. And it's weird how that works out. Uh, I got a few more for y'all. Travis Herman, uh, I believe he's run a few enduro races and stuff and has worked on some teams. He said he received a fire suit and it fit him perfect and he could use it pretty much immediately. Which is, that's a killer gift right there. I mean, if you get safety equipment where somebody can hook you up with, with gear, I mean, that's that's killer. I mean, safety equipment's expensive, but it's also very necessary. And if somebody wants to help you out, any help is always great, especially in the safety department, because you don't want to be out there, you know, unsafe. So, uh, let's see. I think I didn't get a lot of responses on this, but I got one more from Billy Parker. I believe he ran modifieds on and off for a little while in other cars. He says, uh, I believe he received season pit passes to Waterford. And that's another pretty killer gift if you're a racer. Uh, I think I got that one year. I think my dad bought a... The whole team, my brother and my uncle and himself, I think he bought us all season pit passes to Thompson. And that was really nice to have because it was basically a hard card situation. You could just walk up to the window and show your card and your ID and just walk right in, which is pretty killer. That's also another really awesome gift for a racer because that saves a lot of time. I wish I'd gotten a lot more responses, but I mean, this is a fledgling podcast. Let's Let's not kid ourselves here. We're still working on getting it distributed and stuff and while i'm on the topic of that since i'm jumping around on topics here i have got the podcast available on google spotify stitcher uh we're working on getting it on apple podcasts right now it's already been submitted by the time this gets released hopefully it'll be on there but i know this isn't part of this lap but who cares so that's all the responses i got for the christmas special let's get right on into lap number two then for lap number two, I'm going to touch on a touchy subject that's always, always floating around on social media. Why do cup racers race everywhere else? Why do they always stink up the show? And I say that because Kyle Larson goes out to the Gateway Dirt Nationals and wins the Midget A-Main. 
Now, let's be fair, folks. If you've got a cup racer and they're racing an asphalt stock car and they go out and they race in a dirt midget, they are completely different. They're completely different. I don't care if he came from that world and went somewhere else and came back. Why is it up to the internet to say whether or not somebody is eligible to race in a certain race or not? It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I've never understood the argument. If you've got a driver, and let's go somewhere else. Let's say somebody like a Kyle Busch who goes and races at the Snowball Derby or Kevin Harvick going to the Oxford 250 or, you know, just name it. Name a driver and a race that is, I don't want to say lower, but further down the ladder than where they currently are in their professional career. And that's not even a slight to the races that are being held because I think that the big money short track races are the biggest races in the country. But, I, you know, let's not go back and, and regress here. But seeing Kyle Larson get into a midget car and go race and go win races or Tony Stewart or anybody who's good at it, like Kyle Busch in a super late model, why does it matter that they win at a lower level. If you go to cup, that means you're a good driver or the best driver if you succeed at it. Let's just put it that way. I don't want to get into an argument about people buying their way into sports. We're not talking about that. Wouldn't you think that it would be more to the benefit of the people that they race against because now they aren't up against people in their weight class. Now they're fighting against somebody who's probably a little higher up than they are or they're fighting against somebody or racing against somebody, whatever, that's higher up the food chain than they are, and that might actually show them what they need to do professionally in order to get to that place. This isn't an issue of people going to smaller races to try to steal money away from other people. These guys are racers. If you're a racer, you're going to find something to race, because when you're not racing, trust me at this point, this is the whole reason I'm doing a podcast. When a racer is not racing, they're very bored. They almost lose purpose. And when you're at a top level, such as a Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, you name it, they race a lot because they want to keep their talent as honed as possible. That's what a good racer should do. You should do as much as possible to try to make yourself as good as possible. Seat time in any form. If it's a dirt midget car, if it's a late model, if it's anything, a go-kart, it doesn't really matter. Anything that requires performance, driving, and skill, endurance, and physicality will make you a better race car driver because you can learn all the mistakes you're making, or you can develop new skills along the way. Look at what Kyle Busch has done in the top three series. Everybody hates it. Everybody hates seeing him win. Everybody hates this and they hate that. But you know what? The guy honed his skills. When he came into the series back early 2000s, I want to say. And by series, I mean not just Cup Series. I mean Truck and the Xfinity Series is what it is now. And, and then Cup. He wasn't as good. Anywhere near as good as he is now. But what he did was, he did what every racer wants to do. Get into a race car. You get in a race car, you have seat time. 
as much as you want to practice, racing is practice in any form. So for Kyle Larson to go to the Gateway Dirt Nationals or any real dirt race and get into a race car or Kyle Busch getting into a super late model or Kevin Harvick or anybody else along the line. I know there's a bunch of other people. I'm just using a couple examples. I don't want to name everybody. This isn't what this is about. But for them to get practice, why is that a bad thing? I am an amateur race car driver. Yes, an amateur. I am not a professional. I don't make money doing this. It's not my day job. I throw mail out a window for my job. If I could get into a race car every single day, I would. Like, if that was my job, I would be in a simulator, I'd be in a race car, I'd be driving every single day, no matter how sick of it I was. But the point here is, don't go on the internet and complain about people stealing money away from the small drivers. If those drivers were worth a damn, they would go out there and beat them. And then they would make a name for themselves. That's how these other guys did it. So... This counts as my rant portion for the day. Let's move on to lap number three. For lap number three, I'm going to go touch on a technical article that I saw released from NASCAR this past week about the new next-generation car testing a new what could appear to be independent rear suspension with a sequential gear transaxle. Now, to me, that's kind of interesting because when you have these types of race cars that have run live axles for since the beginning of time, essentially, for NASCAR, going to an independent rear with a fixed like transaxle in the back of the car, that adds a whole new dynamic to me. And that's kind of interesting. This is the type of stuff that, like I said, as a former engineering student, the son of an engineer, it kind of interests me. I'm sure a lot of people will be very angry over the idea of it being a sequential gearbox and independent rear. None of this was like how it has been in the in the past, and it's. I can't even begin to tell you how little that opinion matters. Running a sequential gearbox from this point forward, or from when the car releases forward, will make really no difference. These guys at the point they are at right now are running, what, they're still running a Jericho four-speed, right? Just a clutchless H-pattern four-speed. And you you don't even have to, like, push the clutch in or, hell, even lift a little bit to, to shift gears in these things. You just bang a gear and you're good to go. So what's really the difference in running a sequential gearbox, in my opinion? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see these guys out there running old text boxes, you know, with synchros still in it and you got to heel toe it. And I mean, I'm thinking back to like my heyday of the eighties and nineties, watching an ESPN camera in the foot box of Ricky Rudd's car as he heel toed downshifts and basically dances on pedals going around road courses. But those days are gone. I mean, as much as I love nostalgia, the reason nostalgia is nostalgia is because you like to remember those things, not because everything stays the same throughout time. Nothing stays the same throughout time. If nothing changed throughout time, then these guys would still be racing without window nets and with leather helmets and with overalls and with steel gas tanks. And like I said, the sport 
progresses in ways in which you don't even really realize. Until you're thirsty for a nostalgia that's so far away from how it even started that you can't even see it from where your nostalgia was standing from. So, I don't really have any problem with the idea of running a sequential style gearbox in these cars. Like I said, what's the difference between racing a, a sequential box and running an H-pattern with a clutchless transmission that you can just bang gears with anyway? You know what I mean? So, I don't think you're going to see a heck of a lot of transition from that. The only real difference I think you'll see is that the fact that they're probably going to have a couple extra gears. Maybe they run five, six speeds, whatever. Who cares? Like I said, it doesn't really matter at this point. I don't even think it's going to add a heck of a lot to the cost. My only concern is um, longevity, but these things have been so hashed out over the years through other different forms of motorsports that I don't think it's even really worth worrying about. You're going to see problems with any item on a race car for longevity or build quality or whatever purpose, part failures, etc. It doesn't matter how much development you've put into it. You'll still see a part failure every once in a while. But another thing that I'm interested in with this transaxle setup and independent rear is I'm thinking the way that you have to mount a transaxle or, you know, an independent rear end or whatever you want to call them. I'm not very technically minded on these things. I just, you know, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. But you have to fixed mount the uh, transaxle or... The, the, the rear end housing, depending on what you want to use, because sometimes, you know, you you get a Corvette, it's a transaxle, you run like a Subaru, it's got a rear differential, but it's an independent rear, so it's got to be solid mounted. You know, like I said, this is going to be a transaxle, it's probably going to be solid mounted to the chassis. By doing that, it's going to change the whole rear suspension dynamic of the car, and I'm, I'm just trying to think about how much development these teams are going to have to go into to try to see what they can adjust and how to adjust it. Like, I think this is going to remove the third link and it's going to remove the track bar and it's going to remove a lot of these rear end items that we're so used to seeing in these cars. So I'm actually quite interested in seeing what goes on. And I've seen, here's my rant section. I've seen a lot of fervor on the internet because NASCAR, you know, has been releasing some videos here and there of the car while testing. I've seen it testing with, big spoilers and small spoilers and try and basically trying to get a good feel for what the car really runs like. Um, but I've seen a lot of people complaining about the body that's on the car. Now, again, people are more quick to complain than they are to do research. Uh, when I asked somebody about the body that's on the car, they said, well, we don't have an OEM body for the next gen car. We just slapped a generic body on it. That would be relatively similar aerodynamically to what is going to be on the car in 2021. So to me, that made a lot of sense. But to everybody else, they just felt the need to go on and bitch about it because they don't know enough to ask a question. So again, there, that ends my rant section for this. <laughs> I really hope I don't do a rant for every every lap that I do every time. But I felt like I needed to put it out there. So I'm kind of interested in how this is going to turn out. Uh, it's going to be newer, it's going to be different technology, but it's also going to be a little bit, I think it's going to add a little bit of a different card into the mix. You know, it's going to be a little bit more of a developmental issue for these things. And I, I think it's going to be quite interesting to watch. And I think these cars might actually be the step in the right direction that 
people have been wanting for a little bit. But again, when they see something new, they freak out and they're like, oh, the wheels are ugly. Oh, the body looks stupid. It's like, just, you know, why don't you just let it play out? My only concern, however, I've seen the wheels on these cars and I honestly like them. However, I've seen how the lug nuts mount and it's not a flat plate like on the cars now. So when you're in there, gun and wheels, I know they'll probably change the wheels. I understand that. My only concern is if you're going to keep this design, that's going to make pit stops pretty interesting. I've heard rumors of them going to a single like god nut on the, the central hub, but even I wouldn't care about that either. You know, I don't, whatever, who cares? You know, whatever saves them costs over a long run and gets teams back into racing and makes a product that's going to look good. That's all I really care about. Anyway, I'll try to get as much news on that car as I can get. Uh, I might even try to get somebody involved in the process on the show if my soundboard ever shows up from Amazon. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to do that later in the future. So I think that's just going to be it for this week. I'm going to cut this episode a little bit short. I'm just going to push out all the time-sensitive topics that I wanted to talk about and save a few for later. And trust me, I really want to get other people's opinions on these topics, so I'll probably post something up on social media. If you'd like to get involved in the discussion in any way, you could always instant message me or DM me, or whatever you want to call it nowadays. I just showed my age there. That was pretty bad. But you could sh- hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at BrentGleason01. I don't have a page for the podcast yet. I want to get it completely distributed throughout all the major podcast platforms before I even start trying to get serious with it. We are actually available on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And I have Apple Podcasts in my pocket right now because they are still trying to verify my submission because I want to be able to get that on there as well. If I can get them on the big four, then we can really spread this thing out a little bit more. Uh, Again, it's the off season. It's tough to get topics. So until next time, keep the dirty side down and stay out of the fence. 